good morning, Seabreeze. Today I am speaking at Church in the Valley in Alhambra, one of the churches that we partner with together here in Southern California. And Josh De La Rosa, who is the pastor of Orange Crest Community Church in Riverside, is here to speak to you today. Uh, I've known Josh for 18 years, and I value his friendship greatly. Uh, about 10 years ago, Josh started Orange Crest, and the, he's grown the church under his leadership uh, to about 500, a little over 500. And I've seen Josh demonstrate uh, tremendous faith and courage, both as he's led in the starting of this church and then as he's dealt with the uh, challenges of life and ministry. So I encourage you to listen intently to what Josh has to say today. So why don't you join me in welcoming Josh to the stage. Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you here. Truly a privilege to be here with all of you as part of this Teaming Together message series. I've been on your campus uh, several times through the years and have, have several friends that are part of your church, but this is my first time to be able to speak here, and so it's, it's really a privilege to do that. Uh, as you heard, I pastor a, a church in Riverside. I wasn't uh, born in Southern California. I moved down here uh, for college. I was originally from uh, Northern California. I was born in Northern California, a town called Sonoma, and then I was raised in Pismo Beach along the Central Coast. And so I lived in Pismo Beach up until high school graduation and grew up there playing a variety of sports, both team sports, individual sports. So I've enjoyed this theme that we're in as pastors in our network. And uh, by high school, I zeroed in on uh, two individual sports focusing on uh, tennis and wrestling, kind of a strange combination. People always gave me a hard time about that. Um, the combo was, it was a nice relief of, of the two. When I was done with one, it would shift gears completely. The guys on the team were very different, as you would imagine. So, uh, But I had hoped to compete in, in sports after high school and had the opportunity to do that. I was, uh, there was a junior college in, in San Luis Obispo, Cuesta College, that offered an opportunity to wrestle on their wrestling squad. Uh, but then uh, there was a four-year small Baptist university in Riverside, California Baptist University, that offered a tennis scholarship. So I took the money, and, uh, and I went to school at California Baptist University in Riverside. Uh, that helped pay my way through part of those years at school. But as a college freshman, I arrived there without much interest in walking with God. And there were guys that were in the dormitories with me, that took, a, took the relationship with Christ very serious. And I became more and more aware of my need for God. I saw something that was real in them that was not real in my life. And within the first three months of being there, I was ready myself to make a decision to follow Christ and to make Jesus the boss of my life. And, and that decision, it really changed my life and it shaped the, the whole direction of, of my future. Uh, my junior year in college, I met uh, a girl named Erica and she's now my wife. Uh, I married her when I was 21, and she was, right after college graduation, a month after we got married, she had one year of school to go. We were young and in love. Uh, th that was 18 years ago. Here's a picture of our family. We're still in love. Um, I realized I probably need to buy more shirts because <laughs> everybody humored me in first service. I didn't even think about it until I was sitting over here thinking, what am I wearing in that picture? And then I realized... I just returned from a conference in Texas, so this was the easiest thing that I found on hanging in the closet. So but we have three kids, Gabriel, Gavin, and Grace. They're a joy to us. And 
After college, my plan, or at least my hope, was to head back to the coast. We were hoping to kind of settle in Northern California along San Jose areas where I was born in San Jose, raised in Sonoma, and then landed on the coast. And she was from El Salvador, um, but her family came to the West Coast and landed in San Jose. We missed each other, but we met in college, but we both had roots in that area. And we, we thought we'd land back there. And during that time, though, in our first year of marriage, I got connected to Church in the Valley in Diamond Bar. And that's one of the churches in our 17-6 network of churches and began training there under Pastor Randy Lanthrop. I was interested in church planting. I wanted to learn more about ministry training. Uh, and I knew at my age, at 21, newly married, I needed more training in ministry if I was going to last. And so I, I went into sales and found a job in my 20s that I worked for most of my 20s in order to just provide for my family when I was 27 our pastor, Pastor Randy, he invited me to become part of, of his church staff as one of his associate pastors. And that was another key season of training and learning from him. And then at the age of 29, I sensed that God was really wrapping up our time at Church in the Valley and, and sensed that God was leading us to move and to plant a new church. It, it had been my desire uh, for several years while I was there, to, to take all that we had learned, or as much as we could, regarding the mission and the values that, that we experienced there, and really had changed our lives, and to reproduce that in another city so others could experience that life change that we'd experienced, things like the heart attitudes, things that we practice in, in our churches. And so uh, the, the Lord led us back to, uh, to move back to Riverside, into a neighborhood called Orangecrest. It, it was a new uh, neighborhood, lots of young families. And so here's a picture of our launch team, the team that moved. This was the group from Church in the Valley. We moved all together uh, during the summer of 2007 to plant a new church in, in Riverside. And at that point, there was seven of us adults, five children. And the, the, now there's uh, one of the single guys in there. He's gotten married, and there's more kids. And uh, everybody's still a part of our congregation. It's been nearly... Uh, 10 years, and I brought a video. So here's a quick glimpse of, of our church. It's been a lot of fun this past 10 years. It's had certainly its ups and downs. And for uh, there's actually some familiar faces here, so folks that, I, that were a part of our church and moved to the coast. And so it's, it's, it's a joy to have bumped into some folks even this morning. But way, way back in April, your pastor, Bevan, and uh, Randy Lanthrop, Alex Barrett, and myself, we gathered together for this planning meeting. This is at our church offices, at our church office. And we wanted to talk about putting together a series where we could uh, look at what is the power and the potential that we can have if we'll team together as churches. What would that look like? We're, we're already teaming together as, as churches in our cities, but what if we kept working together and, and, and even rotated to talk about how we can team together? And what we're doing, I mean, you're teaming together this morning, uh, but there's, a, there's even a, a, a large impact we can make as we work together with those that are like-hearted. Now, through the years, I, I've drawn a lot from your pastor's gifting, his experience, his leadership, and one of the shifts that I've been trying to make in my life at year 10 in ministry is uh, how, how to delegate more effectively through others. As our church staff has grown, we have a staff of 10 and it's making those shifts through the years has been challenging. And I talked to him, this, I talked to your pastor Bevan this summer, and I said, 
life is so busy. It's so complex now to lead this staff. And it feels like, for my wife and I, it just feels like we're, we're driving down the road and the, the car's just screaming and it's like the engine's revving and the engine's getting hot. The wheels look like they're going to fall off. It seems like there's steam kind of coming out the hood. And how, how am I going to make it? I just, I'm about to hit 40. I just turned 40 in August. And I was like, this was back in, I think, May when I was talking to Bevan about this. He said, you know, Josh, there's another gear that's available. You think you're in the highest gear of that car. There's another gear that's available. And so let's get together and let's talk about how to shift, how to find that other gear so that you can kind of get back into a place where things are, are more balanced. We want to help you avoid burnout. And so he, he's really spoken into my life through the years. That's just one example. Uh, this past summer, we had the opportunity to put an offer on a building in our area. And so we I called him. I know you guys have been through a building process here, and I called him for his advice and get his input, and he gave me all sorts of things through that process. We didn't get the building, but we are far more prepared now for what God may be doing in the future. And so I uh, just really have uh, appreciated deeply uh, Bevan's uh, insight. It's not often that you find pastors that stay in one location for many years. The average pastor in America stays for about three to four years. And so Bevan's been here for well over 25, I think 26 plus years. And so I, I deeply appreciate his faithfulness here, his courage to lead, and his example. Well, last week we, we launched this series called Teaming Together. We, we all launched it at our own campuses. And now we've kind of hit the road starting to rotate at each other's churches to speak through the course of the series. And I don't know if, you know, we all realized back in April that when we were planning this, that this series would land right in the middle and at the close of the World Series, but I thought the timing was perfect, you know, and, and I realize most of you here are probably not that heartbroken because most of you are probably Angels fans, but, <laughs> but I'm sure that there are some disappointed Dodgers fans still recovering from, from the week, and uh, I feel your pain. I'm not a Dodger fan. You know where I'm from, Northern California, so I'll just leave it at that, and uh, no need to make enemies here, so... But when it comes to, too late, <laughs> you know, when it comes to baseball, at each level of play, there's, there's a party, there's a celebration if you win, even for a young Little Leaguer. You win the Little League World Series, there's a huge celebration. Here's a picture of the Japanese Little League World Series team for 2017. The Japanese Little League has dominated uh, the competition, and through the decade, they've won, this decade, they've won five <laughs> already championships. They, they beat the best team from Texas to become the Little League World Series champs. There's a huge party. Can you imagine the excitement to be part of that? In high school ball, if you, if you become a CIF champ, if you were to be the Southern Section champ, there's a huge party. Here's a picture of the 2017 uh, Southern Section CIF champs. This is El Toro High School baseball team. You know, what, what a celebration to know. I mean, we're the best team in this part. You know, imagine that feeling. Now, in college baseball, much higher level of play, huge accomplishment if you're a college World Series champ. Here's a picture of the University of Florida for their celebration. You know, it just gets more and more difficult to win at these levels. Uh, but this week, it wrapped up, you know, one of the most exciting back-and-forth battles for Major League Baseball players, and, and the Astros, they emerged as the world champs. And I, don't, I didn't bring a picture of this year, just I didn't want to disappoint anyone and discourage <laughs> further. But here's, here's last year's champs. The Cubs. The Cubs were the 2016 champs after a 108-year drought. I mean, it was a long time. We might even have some Cubs fans here, but it, it was an amazing seven-game series, and the Cubs 
they, they won. Have you ever been to a team championship parade? Has anybody ever been to a, the city and you, you've been in the parade? Or you've watched the parade? Or you've, you've walked in the parade and just celebrate? Here's a picture from last year in Chicago. I mean, look at this crowd. And after 108 years, you know, everybody shows up. Whether you're a baseball fan or not, you're a, you know, if you're a Chicago fan, if you're from the city, an estimated 5 million showed up to celebrate with the Cubs. They showed up for the parade. And the parade, it gave the Cubs the opportunity to bring back the commissioner's trophy to Chicago before their hometown base. And imagine the excitement to be on that team, to be cheered on by 5 million. You know, it must be one thing to play in front of tens of thousands, you know, on a typical ball game. But then imagine 5 million people showing up, cheering you on because you're the, you're the champ. Did you know that there is a victory parade referred to in the Bible. There's a victory parade. It's not tied to an athletic competition. It's actually connected to a cosmic battle. And so in order to really understand this, this celebration, this parade in the Bible, we really need to know what is the battle? Who are the teams involved? And so in a spiritual sense, and you can follow along in your listening guide that's in your program, in the spiritual sense, at the very highest level, there are really only two teams. You've got on the one side, you have the world's team, and on the other side, you have God's team at the very highest level. That's, that's, that's all there really is. And so last week, we began this series looking at some different elements of God's team. Like, how, how do you qualify to be on God's team? What's the contribution you can make on God's team? What's the mission of the team? If you missed the launch of this, then you can go onto Seabree's website and, and catch that message on there. But I want to look deeper into these, into these issues. The world's team is described in the Bible as, as this. It's, it's made up of people without hope. It's made up of people without hope. Now, I used to play for that team. I used to play for that team. In fact, at one point, you, you did as well. You, you may still identify at this point in your life with that team. Or, or maybe at some point you've become a part of God's team. But in the Bible, there, there really are only two teams. And so here's what we read about the world's team. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is written to a group of Christians, a group of people who've become Christians in modern-day Turkey, in the church of Ephesus. And Paul says, this, this is who you were. Before becoming Christians, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You'd crossed God's boundary lines. You were going your own way in life, independent from God. You were like living corpses. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3 reads, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now this, this was written by Paul. He's a first century church leader. And he said, he says, all of us, this is, he's describing everybody was on this team. Like, like the rest, he says, we were. So Paul's saying, look, that was me. That was my condition. That, that was all of you. In fact, this is the team we automatically become a part of when we arrive on, on planet Earth. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, all humanity lives in a broken condition, in a broken state, with a sinful nature, and really without hope. 
So the world's team, just to break it down even further, is described in this way. It's those who are dead in sin. The picture in Ephesians 2, 1 that's really painted is we're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. We're following the ways of this world, meaning we're moving in that direction, which is the direction being led by God's enemy. We're heading towards judgment. We were under, living under God's wrath, and it's a horrible future that awaits. We're slaves to sin. This isn't found in this uh, Ephesians 2, but over in Romans you see this. You see that we're slaves to sin, meaning we don't have the power to live for God's ways, even if we tried. We, we, that, that power was not in us. Our default is set to sin. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, that's the default set. Enemies of God. Romans 5, we mean we're hostile towards God. We're opposed to Him. It's a different team. It's a pretty hopeless predicament, right? And if this were a baseball team, it would be like, that's one of those ball games or one of those seasons that seemed impossible to turn around. And so what happens is everybody shuts the TV off. There's, there's no way you're coming back from this. This is when everyone departs the the stadium early to beat the traffic and beat the crowds because there's some situations that appear there's no coming back from. And, and, but then something happened. God brought in someone who, who turned the battle around and he got the save. So in verse four, we see this. We see God offering hope. Many of you, you've experienced this already. And if you haven't, then you need to know this is available to you, these verses, even today. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. So just when it looked like the game was totally over, the Son of God stepped into our world. He paid the penalty for our sin and our rebellion, and he rescued us from that prison. He rescues us from life and eternity without him. And then a new team emerges. It's God's team. God's team is people who've found life. It's described in this way. It's those who are brought to life. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it, it, that's what that passage declares. It's, it's Christ, his death paid our penalty. His resurrection brings a new life in him. We no longer live for ourselves. We, we're saved by God's grace. We deserve nothing. But he saved us. He's shown us his kindness, his mercy. It's a very powerful picture here. Jesus is master. For those that are on God's team, Jesus is the boss. No longer are we enslaved, enslaved to our sin, to that default. No longer are we held captive by our desires that are sinful. Instead, our heart and our desires now can be drawn towards the ways of God's kingdom. There's like a new heartbeat going on. Now, there's still a battle, but there's the power now to live for Jesus as, as, as the boss. We're friends of God. We're no longer enemies. In the past, we were alienated from God. We were opposed to him. But now in this amazing kind of turn of events, he's flipped our world upside down. And now enemies and foes can become followers. And it's this amazing paradox that really sparks a victory parade that marches really through time, not through streets. It marches through time. And people we would not have expected to be in that parade have showed up and joined in that parade. Some of us are like, man, I never would have expected to become a Christian. Never would have expected. You see someone at a reunion, they're like, 
you know, you're, you're trying to connect, and things have really changed in my life. And they're like, what? You did, what? I never would have expected that. There's people in the parade, though, that you're like, well, how'd they, how'd they get here? There's people in, in celebration in the victory parade. And now, this summer, during 4th of July, my family took a trip to Colorado, and, and we were there in a small town just outside of the Rockies, and we, we were there for a, a small town parade. It was a lot of fun. Uh, there was people that you would expect in the parade. You know, you've got, you had the mayor, you had the firemen, you had the school teachers, you had the, the, the military, people that had served in the military, you had the marching band. But then there were some unexpected people in the parade. Uh, there was a guy in a, the, the one that I thought was most entertaining was there was a guy in a lowered suburban, mid, like 1990s suburban, with a great sound system. And that was it. <laughs> he had a parade number, and he was clearly in the parade, but he didn't do anything other than sit low and, and show off his sound system. And I thought, and there were others. I thought, how'd they get in this parade? I was a little confused because typically major victories culminate in a parade. It's typically a celebration of some sort. Of, there's honor being given of some sort. And that's the scene that we find in the Bible. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's made up, this victory prayed in the Bible is made up of people who've decided to follow Christ and take their place in a long line of those who have come before them and who will go after them. So here's a description of that prayed written by Paul. Paul, again, he's this former enemy. In fact, he was a leader of the opposition. He, he had a bitter hatred previously towards Christ and towards Christ's followers. But then he met Jesus and his world was flipped upside down. He writes this, he says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Now, long before athletic parades was the victory parade where a conquering general would lead his troops through the city after a major victory. This is a celebration. He's, he's marching in triumph and there's a processional. And in that procession is, it would include enemy prisoners who were forced to march with this leader, this general. And that's the picture that Paul is picking up on in, in 2 Corinthians 2. It's of a Roman victory parade. But in this parade, Christ is at the head of the parade. And Paul, this man who was once a, a former foe, enemy, he's now in the parade because he, he declares that who always leads us, God is leading us. So Paul's saying, look, I, I'm in that procession. And if you're in Christ, if you belong to Christ, then this is a picture of how Christ has led you out of prison. He's rescued you from spiritual death and bondage. You've yielded your life to him as the boss, and he's now leading your life, and you're moving in a brand new direction. He's leading your life. But you aren't just hopping onto a float, waving and throwing candy at people. Everything in, in this parade, the victory parade, has a purpose and so our role is this. It's to spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. That's, that's our role. That's our job. That's our honor to be in this parade if you're a Christ follower. And with military leaders, there would be in their parades incense bearers who would walk alongside in the procession so that they would walk alongside the leader so that this fragrant aroma, this incense, would hit the crowd and everyone knew that the leader was passing by. And the leader would get the attention. The aroma pointed people towards the leader. In our case, if you're, if you're in Christ, one of his followers, then you and I are like those incense bearers. We are to spread the aroma 
and we are to be the aroma. And it's as you live out the, the ways of God's kingdom, people notice, they say, wow, there's something different about this person. There's something about the way they do their life, the way she does her life, the way that group interacts with each other, the way that people team together, the way that they're unified in these things, the, the, the things they live for have greater purpose. There's something unique about this, and they're drawn towards that. And that's really one of the most exciting parts of being in this parade is that we get to help others be a part of God's team and come to life. Notice how the celebration is occurring out in the world. He says it's spreading everywhere. It's not just on a Sunday where you're part of that victory celebration. Now, certainly, we gather. This is a celebration. This is like part of that parade. This is one of those visible scenes where we get to see the parade. But Paul says it's spreading everywhere. So at, at our church, and, and I know at your church, we, we want our people to be living on mission in their world. And so here, here's just a real quick basic flow of how this works for us. How do we spread the fragrance and the knowledge of him as we share Jesus with others? And there's a simple flow. For us, it goes like this. You, you meet people who are not Christ followers. You meet them. Maybe it's a friend, a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Could be someone in your family and you've come to know Christ and now you're thinking, I want to reach out to, to this person. So you, you meet, you identify someone, then you begin to invest in them. You invest, you show God's love through, through care. You make time for them, you listen, you get to know there's, uh, there's a relationship that, that begins. You look for ways to, to love people with God's love. But then you take the risk and you actually invite them. It's not just enough to meet someone and, and to, to be a nice person and a loving person, but, but then you begin to reach out and you say, hey, would you, would you check out this event that our church is hosting? Or would you check out this, this men's event or this, this women's event or this, um, this gathering that we're doing or this church service that we're having? You take the risk and you take the time to invite. Then you include. What I mean by that is you, you begin to introduce them to, to your circle of relationships here because to reach people, it takes a team. We work together. It's never just your responsibility to reach that person you're trying to, to, to share Christ with. Think about the, the opportunity you have as you work with others. So you help people get connected here. You help people find a place of service. Two, two things often help at this stage when people start coming around your church and getting to know people. Two things. One is relationships, and the other is responsibilities. People need to feel connected to, and they need to see how they can contribute and be a part of what you're doing here. And if, if they can form relationships and have responsibilities, that's a sticking point. That's a glue. Without these, these things don't occur, then usually within a few months, people move on and they drift off. And this is what we've experienced. I'm sure this is what you guys experience. But then you share. You move to the point where you, you share. You begin to clarify Here's what the Bible says it means to be a Christian, because all of us need to have a very clear understanding of what the Bible says, you know, the definition of a Christian really is. There's a lot of definitions that people have in their minds, so, and a lot of times, people are too afraid or too embarrassed to, to ask or to admit, you know, I'm not really sure. And so, I like to just say, has anyone ever taken the time to share with you what the Bible says it means to be a Christian? I could share with you in a few minutes, and and you'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And if a person's been coming around, most of the time they say, yeah, I'd love that. I'd love that. Because they're participating, and maybe that's where you're at. You, you, maybe you're here and you're participating, and you're still at a point where you're like, I, I'm not totally clear yet on w what it is I need to do next. How do I commit my life to Christ? So you might want to have that type of a conversation. But this flow is how you and I 
can spread the knowledge, the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That, that's how that looks on a real practical level. Paul continues, verse 15, he's, he reads in this parade, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Basically, this parade impacts people. Verse 16, to the one group, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance, the fragrance of life. It's, it's like a fragrance that hits the crowd, makes an impact. And so it divides your lives and the message of Christ. It divides people into two groups. There are those who are moving towards God and there are those who are moving away. And to the one group, you know, we smell like life. God uses us to lead people to abundant and eternal life. And when a church is focused on the right things, the right values, the, the things that God highly values, the things that are on his heart, then it's so attractive. It creates a curiosity in people. And that fragrance draws others to Christ. And that might be how you landed here at Seabreeze. Sadly, to the other group, it says, we are the smell of death. In other words, our life and our message for this world really is a matter of life and of death. And so this challenges us as churches to really look at what is the impact we're really having and evaluate what is the scent people pick up as we interact with them, as they interact with our team. Verse 16, it, it, it has this question, who is equal to such a task? How, how did we get into this parade? It's not because we were equal to the task. It's only because we've lined up behind Christ and we're following him. He is leading which is why Paul begins with the declaration, thanks be to God. He's so thankful. Now, this, this is a parade you want to be in. Sure doesn't look like it right now in the world. It's like, eh, I don't know if I want to be in that parade. It seems to be running so contrary to the way the world is moving. But this is a parade you want to be in. For now, this triumphal parade, it's, it's hidden, but every once in a while, we do get glimpses and we... We, it becomes visible to us what God is doing. And the major way that we really celebrate is evangelism. It's evangelism. When people hear about the good news of Jesus Christ and they respond, make him the Lord of their lives, you know, they follow in baptism and they, we celebrate, we cheer them on. That's, that's thrilling. That's the major win. That's the major part of the celebration. For me, there's probably nothing more exciting than to see people come to Christ. And every time I see a baptism, I'm reminded of this great spiritual reality of what has occurred in their lives. It's, you have a person, they're, they are, they're standing there in the baptist, you know, in the pool, you know, and, and, or in your case, maybe the beach. And it, it represents when they're standing there, the old nature, the, old, the, the fact that they are dead in sin. This is the old me. And they go down, it's a picture of the death and the burial. Jesus paid my penalty. He was buried. He died for me. But then, you know, the person comes up out of the water. He, Jesus rose. He has given me new life. This, this gal, both those folks were, you know, adults when they came to Christ. This picture from, uh, I think, January or February of this year. This is a gal. Her name is Beth. She came to Christ recently. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call that Beth was uh, shot in Las Vegas, and she was alive in a hospital, and she was recovering. And so her cell phone, I, I, didn't, I couldn't speak to her directly, apart from we could send messages to her 
through uh, social media, but she had previously in the year committed her life to Christ. It was a scary experience for her. She said heard the she heard the shots ring out and thought it was fireworks, and then she heard another round, and then she started falling. And her friend, that she, a girlfriend of hers that she was had went there with, caught her and covered her, and then along with several others, drug her out of that mess. And through the breaks in the in the bullets, you know, they were able to get her to safety. And she was at church that following Sunday in a sling, and uh, it was uh, people were all ears as we were talking about tragedy and. And her life, as I reflected with her about that, she, her life is just different. She said, I had a peace about this. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the, of the questions of what was going to happen, she'd settled some things before that. And God wants to use that in her life. He will use that in her life uh, for the good of many. Um, but she, she, she's like, I'm a different person. I look at this whole thing very, very different, she said. My life is so different. And since... I myself remember being dead and in sin on the world's team. I, I remember that too. I, I, I well up in gratitude when I think about the difference Christ has made in my life. And that gratitude, it motivates our participation in this celebration, whether it's on a Sunday or whether it's midweek in what you do in living out your faith here in this city and in this church. Our gratitude motivates our participation what a thrill to participate in this. Anytime we see groups of people commit their lives to Christ, it's just, it's, it's so exciting. So let me encourage you here at Seabreeze, every time someone trusts in Christ, you know, through your participation, you, you got to be part of that. You got to share in that, in that victory, because it's always a team victory. It's never just your victory. It's, it's always the team victory. You're a part of something much larger than just your life. It's through your collective serving, it's through your giving, it's through your, your singing as you unite your voice together. That's a powerful and sweet aroma. You're serving here, that's a powerful and sweet aroma. You're praying for people, that's, again, you're, you're making a difference as you live out your faith. You're training as you're growing and, you know, focus in on how, how can I continue to grow in, in my faith and my understanding of how to walk with God. You're sharing your life, your investment in others. So share in that. Now, I have one major regret regarding team celebrations and parades. It's regarding my team, the Giants. The Giants, my, my uh, favorite team, had a, quite a streak going. Uh, they won the World Series in 2010, 2012, and 2014. I expected it just to roll on through all the even you know, numbers of this decade. But you know, three World Series championships in, in a short span of time. And in 2014, I was in Northern California when the Giants won. In 2014, I was up in San Jose, and my brother-in-law and I, when the Giants' team parade and celebration was to hit San Francisco, we were in San Jose, and we were on the fence going back and forth. Should we go to the celebration? Should we go? Should we go? And it's San Francisco. And as much as we wanted to be there, the thought of trying to fight traffic and find a parking spot, and you know how San Francisco is already crowded. Now imagine... Giants fans filling the, and some of you would never be caught there for, for this, but so we decided with all the hassle, we're just going to pass. Just watch it on TV. You know how much regret I've had? 
This was our chance to celebrate our team as world champions, and I missed it. It was an hour away, a little bit of inconvenience. I missed it. Now, I, ch- I challenge you, don't miss the chance to be part of this celebration, of this victory parade that, that this life is intended to be. All, all of you can take part in Sundays, sing out, show up to events, be a part of this celebration, this party. When people are baptized, cheer them on, celebrate, encourage them. You, you made the most important decision in your life, and I'm just so excited for you. Be an encouragement to people here. Serve here. Contribute here. Be a part of this celebration. Because now is the only time, you know, that you're going to have these opportunities with these people around you, the people that God's placed you around. This opportunity, these people will pass us by. And so let's be the, the sweet, fragrant aroma to those around us, drawing people to Christ. There's an eternal impact made through your teaming together here at Seabreeze. And there's an even greater impact as we team together across our network of churches. This is 17-6 network of churches. You're going to be hearing more from the pastors of our network as we're sharing bits and pieces of this series at each other's churches. Uh, but we're, we're synced up to try to turn the world upside down, the message of Jesus Christ that is a message of hope. And it's really a joy to be on this mission with all of you. It's a joy to train alongside you, to encourage you this morning. It's, it's a joy Because in this world, there is such a strong pull away from the things of God. And so the world needs help and needs hope. And so let's team together for greater impact. And God has done so much through your church here. And your church has been a blessing to all of you and the others that attend and are part of the Seabreeze family. But it's not just this. Be encouraged. God is using your church and your church's story Um, to encourage the rest of us. We love to see your growth, the vision that you guys have here to reach your community, the bold and courageous steps you guys have taken through the years has really inspired me and several of our other pastors in our network to keep pressing on and ask God for greater things. And so thanks for letting me be a part of of your service this morning. There's a few next steps I want to draw your attention to. I want to draw your attention to these uh, three next steps. The first is let, let gratitude motivate your participation here. I mean, don't, don't forget what God did to rescue you. When sometimes you're like, I don't know why I'm still serving. I don't know why I'm still participating. I don't know why I'm so invested in this. Shouldn't I be done? Shouldn't I just move into my spiritual retirement now? Don't forget what God did to rescue you when there was no hope and how he's brought hope into your life. Don't forget that. And then ask God to show, show me who in my world to reach out to. Ask God to show you who, who do you want me to meet and invest my life in and begin to invite, include, and share with. And then finally, would you do that? Would you invite someone to Seabreeze next week? It might just be that you've been getting to know someone already, investing some time, and it's time to now say, hey, I want you to meet the team of people that I run with. And so would you join me at Seabreeze this week? It's an exciting time in our church, so would you, would you join me? So let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for your work here. We celebrate you, Lord Jesus, for the, the work uh, that has that you have accomplished, the victory that has been won um, as you defeated sin, as you paid the price, you defeated the grave and death. Lord Jesus, you rose victoriously. We celebrate you here this morning, and every day is really a day of celebration for the life that you have given. Pray for those that are here that are still sorting what it means to, to follow you and still have questions. Lord, I pray you would draw them to the people, and to have the conversations with those 
that can clarify what it means to, to, to follow you, fully devote themselves to you. Thank you for this church and the work you're doing here. May you encourage them, Lord, uh, to press on together, to team together for greater impact, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.